praise God. Oh, what a great fellowship we have. Aren't you glad we have one another to lift each other up? And we have Jesus Christ. Praise God. I'm so glad that somebody one day introduced me to Jesus. Praise God. I'm so glad that somebody introduced me to Jesus. Praise God. Take your Bibles and turn to John, the 8th chapter, and I'm going to preach tonight on a subject that I had planned on preaching some time ago and then put it off because I just felt the timing wasn't quite right. And then last Sunday night I had made mention that I was going to preach. Sister Grant was very sick, and of course I was sick. And uh, she could not come because I was just having a lot of problems. I elected to stay home with her. Brother Manley preached. I had such a great move of the Lord. I really do appreciate Brother Manley. Praise God. God has greatly used this man. God wants to use you. I believe that, let me read the scripture and then you can be seated. John eight thirty two. it's a very, very familiar scripture. It's quoted, misquoted some. John 8, 32, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It's misquoted by people saying the truth shall set you free. That's not what it says. It says make you free. Make is a progressive thing. To be set free is instantaneous. You may be seated. I personally feel that what I am about to talk about is something that many of you will understand, but some of you may not. It's, uh, I think it's revelatory. See, Jesus said, when he, the spirit of truth, shall come, he shall direct you, guide you, or lead you into all truth. That truth is is progressive. Uh, we noticed already that the scripture says he shall make you free. We know that we are set free from sin when we come to the altar. Tonight, we baptize Jenny. She's going to find such a feeling that comes over her. It's... it's it's, it's just phenomenal. It's joy unspeakable, full of glory. It's, it's indescribable. If you just don't know how to, to even comprehend that which you by faith know. You can't comprehend it in your mind what really takes place, but by faith you know. So I'm not trying at all to minimize our new birth experience. The new birth experience that we know and enjoy uh, came to us in a moment's time. Sin left us. But there's much more to walking with the Lord than just that initial experience at an altar. This is when we're born a child that's born into this world, that's the beginning. That's just the start. Uh, many struggles and troubles and trials along the way are necessary in order for that individual to, to grow into maturity. All the bumps and bruises and bangs and scars and fights and whatever it takes for the child to mature is really necessary. It is absolutely necessary. Now this is what I've noticed about a lot of Christians that I have been personally acquainted with is that while they are set free from sin, they seem to never get real deliverance from, from self. Uh, I, I think most of you understand what I'm talking about. So as a result that we somehow get altered, uh, 
And let me just interject this before I go any further. You'll never win over Satan until you can win over yourself. And it's necessary. Some people are really fighting the wrong enemy. Now, Satan is not the wrong enemy. It's that you have to take things in sequence. That, that your, your number one concern should be, let me win over myself so I can be better equipped to win over Satan. Because if you go out and fight Satan, uh, you, you want to make sure that you have won over self because you will not prevail over Satan. You know, you never want to stir up more de devils than you're able to cast out. And sometimes Christians who uh, are very ambitious, they're ambitious because they know their, their job, they have a good handle on what they're supposed to do, but they just are not equipped for it. Sometimes they can indeed stir up more devils than what they can cast out because they have not yet conquered themselves. I won't preach on the subject. I'm free. Thank God I am free. When the Apostle Paul was called, and this is found in his testimony in Acts, the 26th chapter, when the Apostle Paul is standing before Agrippa, he testifies. And, you know, if there ever was a man that you could see wrapped up in himself, Paul was. He was just totally consumed by Paul himself. Now, I don't know that much about Paul, but what I do know is that, that this man was in love with himself. He trusted in his own abilities. He tried to fight the battle of the Lord by himself and for himself. And, of course, he's going to get all the victory when this happens. But Paul, when he was struck blind on the road to Damascus, probably received such a great revelation that he would be totally blind the rest of his life if he did not make this surrender. He asked, Who art thou, Lord? And the answer came from heaven, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now, he's making reference, God was making reference to an animal that's hooked up in traces that's pulling a plow or a cart or some heavy load. And you see the owner behind the animal and you see that the animal doesn't want to pull the load. I don't know if any of you have ever plowed animals before when I was growing up. In the red clay of East Texas, I plowed many, many, many teams of mules. I know what it's like to plow the cotton patches. And I'll tell you what, it's, it's, it's hard, it's tough. But we had one old mule that we, we actually was borrowing the mule. I would uh, do some plowing for a man in, in exchange for, uh, you know, the use of the mule. We had one mule that uh, we used that every time you'd hit a, at least a little stump or something, he'd stop. He'd just stop. And he was well capable of just plowing through, but he wouldn't do it. He'd stop. Well, he kind of provoked me because I was so tired of him just at least a little, t he just stopped. Well, would you believe that he balked on me? And he wouldn't go. I mean, you could not make him go. He just simply would not move from his tracks. Well, all he would do whenever I would uh, persuade him, sometimes with my foot, <coughs> uh, he would just kind of kick, but he'd kick against a trace. Trace 
There's a chain that comes back and attaches to the to the tree. That's the part that goes across that hooks onto the plow. Now you know. Okay? So, I mean, he just kick. But he wouldn't move. You could not get him to move. I finally said, I'm just going to leave you hooked up here on mule, and you'll just starve to death because... I don't remember the outcome, but I do know that I walked back up to the house. I was plowing him in our, our garden, and my mother says, well, son, you want to take him home? He, I said, well, he can just go home on his own. I was so mad at him. <coughs> Paul was making reference, or say Paul, the Scripture's making reference, God was making reference to the owner who would take the beast of burden that wasn't willing to pull the load, and he would take a sharp stick, sometimes just sharp, sharpened on the end. Other times, they would attach a small piece of sharper metal, and they would just kind of prick at the fetlocks of the, of the animal. And so the animal would kick back, just kick back. The Lord told Paul, now that's what you've been doing. And... Uh, told him, said, now, what you're going to have to do is, is stop all this aggressiveness. You're going to have to surrender your heart to the Lord. Now, he was not serving Jesus, and he was very ignorant of Jesus. But Jesus got his attention. Now, in verse 16, the Lord of, of Acts 26 told him what he ought to do, but rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in the which I will appear unto you. In other words, I want to make you a minister of the things that you've seen and also the things you have not seen. There's a lot of this that you do not see until it unfolds. Now verse 17, now this was so necessary, delivering thee from the people. And from the Gentiles unto whom I send thee, delivering thee from the people. Obviously making reference of his own people. Some people really never get delivered from their kinfolks. Really, they can't serve God because they've got too many family activities going. Now, I believe that every man should be family-minded. And I believe that every man should try to win his family. But sometimes families set out to win you back. And I tell you, they can have more birthday parties and all kinds of get-togethers and keep you out of the house of God. Don't feel obligated. This is why Jesus said, concerning the people that follow after him, let the dead bury the dead. See, one man says, can't do this. I've got a funeral to attend. Now, Jesus was not saying, don't go to your father's funeral. But he was, he was giving us an underlying principle. It's families because they love you. They can set out to win you back. And they know that if your priorities are right, that they play a very high role in your life. And they can take advantage of that role by making you feel responsible. Now Paul was to be delivered from his family, from his people, from the Jewish nation. He's going to, God said, I'm going to deliver you from them. And then, of course, and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. When you go to the Gentiles, you are to go without any fear and without any reservation. Now this is what he says, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness unto light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. And Paul then, verse 19, says, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient 
unto the heavenly vision. Outside of Jesus Christ, Paul was as probably free, as free as anyone in the Scripture. Now, you've got to keep in mind, see, he lived many, many years before Super Bowls were played, before World Series tournaments, before they had golf courses, before they had computers, microwaves. How can a man who is never involved in any of these modern conveniences, probably never went to a movie theater, never saw a commercial on TV, never heard a radio program, never drove a car, How can a man like this be happy? It's because that he kept looking up and not outward. I will assure you that people in Paul's day had very similar struggles to the people that we see and meet every day. Materialism plays such a big role in our American society. And there's so many pressures and the reason why there's pressures because, you see, when a man looks outward, he sees all of his peers. He then enters into the competitive game of trying to keep up with everybody else. Why? Because he's got his eyes on those people. You show me someone that's trying to keep up with everyone else, and I'll show you someone who has their eyes on people more than they have their eyes on God. Because that's, that's what causes this. And then, of course, uh, not just a touch, but the heavy hand of insecurity always rests upon a person who looks at others instead of looking at Jesus. But show me a person who looks upward more than he looks outward. And I'll show you a man who is not deceived into the competitive spirit of worldliness. You see, that's what Jesus was involved in. That's what Paul was involved in. Many of you are free, but not quite to the extent that God wants to make you. You've been set free. You're beautiful people. You worship God. You dance in the Spirit. You talk in tongues. But some of you get offended too easily. Some of you, the... the the least little thing, you know, you just kind of ticks you off. Some of you get upset too fast. It's because too much of you, too much of you is still hanging around. Now, you have to understand that the only way you can read the Bible and this Bible makes sense, is for you to be led by the Spirit. You can read a lot of Scriptures, and you could give a good message on it, but until the revelation, till the opening of the eyes, till the understanding, till the divine enlightenment comes, you don't understand, you don't see that. So as a result, uh, uh, you, you feel that, that every man must be materialistically blessed of God. If he isn't, then he's not blessed at all because that's the only way God blesses you. And that's, that's not true. That is absolutely not true. And all of our worldly commodities will stand up in Judgment Day as a curse or a testimony against us if we make those things our God. I mentioned this couple of weeks ago look at your car as it rusts out 
It doesn't make sense for you to fall in love with that thing because it's not going to be around very long. Look at your house that all of a sudden you look at it and the garage door is peeling. The gutters are rotting out. It's a testimony against you if you make those things your God. Isn't that right? It really is. Look at, look, at, look at your clothes. You go and pay $400 for a new suit, and how long does that new suit last? Well, most clothes in America are not worn out. They're discarded because of the change of styles. But most people wouldn't want to want to wear something, you know, that's totally outdated. So you end up throwing it in a box someplace and sending it down to, you know, a goodwill store or something like that. But all those things just testify against you because they're just temporary. They're not permanent. They're not lasting. See? <clears throat> Backsliding then often occurs simply because the person is set free from sin, but he never really gets free from himself. Somewhere along the road of progression toward what God wants him to be, the individual just stops dead in his tracks and he says, this is as much of God as God will ever get. And I won't go any further. That's the way it is. <clears throat> now the setting of the Scripture is Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a religious group of people. They actually were the keepers of truth in the days of Jesus. The problem is that they were legalists from the word go. They loved the commandments of God more than they loved God. That's what a legalist is. They were in love with God's law, but not the God of the law. So they had a very low tolerance of anything less than perfection. They were just expecting the best out of everyone. When Jesus said, ye shall know the truth, the truth shall make you free, those people stood there kind of dumbfounded. And they said, what are you talking about? We are Abraham's seed. We have never been in bondage to anyone. I mean, how wrong could they be? The, base, the basic foundation, that is, the physical stock grew and multiplied in Egyptian captivity, bondage. They were slaves. We think American slavery lasted a long time, but they were in bondage for 435 years. That was from the time that Joseph went down until the time that they were set free by Moses. Now, 435 years is a long time. They were beaten. They were abused. They wore the scars and the bruises upon their body. They came out, went into the promised land, and right after that, you know, 40 years they were in the wilderness. They were in bondage to themselves then because they couldn't believe God. They couldn't. And you've got to understand what I'm talking to you about diametrically opposes faith. See, as long as you feel secure, even though you may feel insecure, but as long as you feel that, that the source of security is in the things around you, as you look outward instead of upward, that deteriorates your faith. It eats away like a cancer at your faith. Because I think the child of God should be in a position that if everything around him was gone, I mean everything, he could still lift his hands and thank God. Job was such a man. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. He said, naked came I into the world and naked shall I return. He also went on to say, though God 
slay me, yet will I trust him. He's a very wealthy man, but he was as free of self as anyone you can find in the Old Testament. So after the 40 years in the wilderness and finally going into the promised land, they experience momentary freedom. Then we go into what we call the book of Judges that lasted for a period of 405 years, probably the lowest ebb in their whole history. They were to utterly wipe out the Canaanites, which the Canaanites are symbols of self. They were to utterly destroy the Canaanites. In the Old Testament, you will find that those things that are physical, in the New Testament, those things served as an example of spiritual things, things that we are to spiritualize in the New Testament. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, all these served as an ensample or example for us today. So utterly destroy the Canaanites. They didn't do that. They thought they could profit from the Canaanites. So they formed leagues with the Canaanites. Some of us already, after being set free at the Red Sea and by the pillar of fire, which is symbolic of water baptism and the Holy Ghost, some of us have made leagues with our flesh. We have agreed with ourselves that it really does not take what Pastor Grant says it takes in order to be profitable. You may say, are you saying, Brother Grant, I will not go to heaven? I am not your judge. I am not saying that. I cannot say that. But on the other hand, I can't preach anything less than what Jesus Christ preached. And we'll get into some of his statements. Some statements that he made, they're great, and they sound good. They especially sound good over the radio. When people make those statements, I listen to Christian radio station quite often. They sound real good, but I'm not for sure that we all together understand what is being said. So here these people are. They, they formed these leagues with these nations. After a while, they're back in the caves, underprivileged, no land to raise their crops, afraid to go out on the streets because there's too many of the Canaanites, the Philistines, and all the other nations around. Too many of them out there. They'll kill us. And isn't that the way it is with ourselves? That self will kill you. It will destroy you. It will give you a complex. It will create guilt and shame. After the freedom uh, from the judge, the period of the judges, they go into the area of the kings, and you will find that uh, they divided. They had a civil war. They divided 19 kings and a queen and, and, and 20 kings on Judah's side. They, uh, they had the civil war, they divided, the, the house of God was divided. Judah, along with the two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, worshipped at Jerusalem. The ten northern tribes worshipped at Samaria. It was not, was, was not God's will. He wanted the kingdom to be united. They, they followed after other gods. Uh, we find that Israel went into a Syrian captivity uh, 120 years later Judah went into Babylonian captivity and they were rejoined so Israel per se was 100 about 199 years in captivity to the Assyrians then of course to the Babylonians the Medes and the Persians Judah was in captivity and the Babylonian captivity and the Medes and the Persian captivity for 79 years. Then they, they went back and rebuilt the city. They were given permission. The Greeks came along and 
conquered the world, and then the Romans conquered the world, and when Jesus Christ came upon the scene, here these Pharisees walked the streets of Jerusalem, and they said, we have never been in bondage to any man. See, that's the way they looked at it. I can see Jesus. I can read his mind when he said, yeah, just read his mind. You don't know what you're talking about. That's all you've ever known. And sometimes we sing our songs, I'm free, I'm free, thank God I'm free. And we just really don't know what freedom's all about. We were Abraham's children, said so we've always been free. How wrong they were. And yet their greatest heroes were people who were responsible for delivering them. Moses, for one. I think God intentionally hid the body of Moses from the devil when he died because they probably would have entombed him someplace and made a god out of him. Now, when he was around, he wasn't too popular. But isn't that quite often the case? But when he died, the Bible says that the Lord and the devil disputed over the body of Moses. And the Lord won and buried him in the mountain, and nobody could find him. They probably would have made some kind of a god out of him. In the period of the judges, certain men were just known among them to be great men. Gideon, for one. You remember Gideon? Jephthah was a great man. But you've got to remember when God called Jephthah, he was off some other place because his own kinfolks didn't want him. And when they wanted him to deliver uh, them, he said, well, now, wait a minute. This doesn't sound right. If I come back and deliver you, are you going to allow me to be your leader then? What are you going to do with me? We'll settle this question. In other words, they wanted freedom, but they wanted no responsibility that goes with that. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there is a move in Washington now to erect another monument similar to the Statue of Liberty in the bay on the west coast of L.A. And the reason why is because at least the program I was listening to, this is what they were saying, is because America needs to understand that she needs more than the Statue of Liberty. We want a statue of responsibility that the only way we can stay free is to bear responsibility. And this would be just one little step in the educational process of making Americans know there's more than liberty involved in this great nation. I think it's a good idea myself. Now, I don't know that spending all that money to create one, maybe France will give us another one. I don't know. <clears throat> we have some American heroes. Abraham Lincoln, who is basically responsible for the setting uh, free of the American slaves. I don't know how you feel about Abraham Lincoln, but I... I count this man to be such a great man. You know, he was, he was a man that just seemed to be so decisive even in the midst of so much pressure. I don't know if you've ever read much about him. Talking about pressure, I'm telling you, this man was in, he was in the hot spot. He was in the hot spot. Sometimes when we talk about slavery, our American black people hang their head in shame. I just want to set the record straight. If anybody ought to feel bad over American slavery, it should be the white tyrants who were responsible for it. 
so help me. I can't understand how under the banner of even Christianity that, that anybody could ever feel they were superior to another human being. That is so anti-God. And I would never want anyone attending this church to feel that just because their ancestors were slaves that they were inferior. I mean, if anybody ought to feel bad about it, it ought to be we who have ancestors who were hard taskmasters, masters. You know, my folks came from Ireland in 1690 to the States. I don't know how yours got here. Maybe some of yours came on a slave boat. But Jesus Christ has put us all in the same boat. And if there's any stigma attached, it's certainly not your fault. And nobody should ever hang their head in shame over the, what their ancestors were or did unless their ancestors were responsible for ungodly acts like this. Someone taped and brought to me the video of the Civil War, and I watched it. I stayed up all night long watching it. I've never had anything to move me so. And I, I assume that just the watching of this probably and the reading of Scripture has moved me as much toward some current feelings that I have uh, as much as anything that I have ever been involved in. You know, I just, I, I, I look at, I don't know anything about this lady, Harriet Beecher Stowe, who wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin. I know that I know she's responsible for me getting a speeding ticket. I know that. <clears throat> because I was listening to a talk show about, about her book, and I was going down to Viola to preach, and I wasn't paying any attention, I guess. And all of a sudden, I looked up, and I saw a policeman behind me. He pulled me over. He said, Sir... I picked you up on the radar. Do you know you were speeding? I said, no, I did not know it. He said, how fast were you going? I said, to tell you the truth, I, I don't have any idea. He said, well, most people make up excuses. I said, well, I happen to be a minister. And I shouldn't have been speeding, but I really don't know. I probably wasn't going 100. I was, but I don't know how fast I was going. So he said, well, you were speeding. He said, well, what in the world had you so captured that you? Uh, I said, well, I'm listening to a talk show. I'd turn it down. He said, what? And I began to talk to him. And I reached over and turned it up. And would you believe? He said, I'll tell you what I want you to do. I said, I want you to come get in a car with me. I sat down in a car, and he turned on the talk show. <laughs> I was running late, tell you the truth. <laughs> and and we, listened, we listened to it. And both of us sat there. You know, this... This lady was under tremendous pressure when she wrote this book. And it is the book that has been credited for the cause of the Civil War. This lady had to escape for her life back up into Maine, I think, where she was born. And I look at people like that. I don't know anything about her. I don't know anything about her walk with God. I don't know much about Abraham Lincoln from the standpoint of his, his affiliation with God. But I look at people like this and I think, thank the Lord that somebody had enough courage to say what was right. But we all must understand that there is more to being set free than just the relief of some taskmaster that we can really be set free from the physical bondage 
So I've never been in jail. I don't know what it's like. I don't think I was ever even locked in my room when I was a kid. And I know that parents lock their children in a room. You stay in your room and ground them. The reason why, because we didn't have any locks on our doors. So, <clears throat> so you know, I don't know what that's like. Uh, there are certain people have claustrophobia. You know, I've, I had a good friend that got in a, an elevator, and, and I mean to tell you, the door closed, and he fell down, and he started praying, and somebody pushed the button on the second floor, and he crawled out. And he literally crawled out. He said, man, I'd never get in an elevator again. Man. I don't know what that's like. I've never been in jail before. I've visited in jail before. I visit visited a prison. It's a... It's an awesome feeling. It's an awesome feeling. I, I have such deep feelings for people who are just locked up. It just, at times, it, it bothers me. I pray about my people, and I, in my mind, I, how can they stand this? Of course, I guess if you don't have much choice, and that is that is the case. And, but uh, I've always been physically free. But I will say this. I have not always been spiritually free. And since I have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I have not always been spiritually free. Freedom is necessary in the spirit world if we are to please God and follow in His commandments. Freedom from sin, yes, no doubt about it. Peter says, We are not redeemed with corruptible things as gold and silver, but by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I will say this. We need a revelation past Acts 2.38. We need a revelation on scriptures like this. The setting is Jesus before Pontius Pilate. Jesus is standing there, not defending himself, but he's asked some questions. His words are very few, but when he chooses to speak, people listen. He said, Sir, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were this world, then would my servants fight. You see, he was speaking of a kingdom so far removed from this cosmos that it would be a shame for his servants to dirty their hands for this earthly cause. Now, until you receive a revelation of what he's saying, you can never understand what your position as an ambassador for the Lord is all about. We sing songs. I am just a weary pilgrim traveling through this world of sin getting ready for that mansion. We don't even know what we're talking about. I'm an ambassador. I represent a cause much greater than Bill Clinton. If I am called to represent His kingdom, I should never give up this calling and stoop so low as to be the president. Now, I believe that you can be the president and not give up your calling. But I'm talking about if the choice has to be made between the two. We need Jesus to open our understanding as to what He was really talking about. Jesus came along and said, Except a man forsake his father and his mother. He talks about forsaking of houses and lands. He talks about forsaking his wife, his children, and yea, his own self. He cannot be my disciple. You know what I want to see? I want to see the restoration. 
back into the kingdom of God that Joel talked about in the second chapter of Joel. I will restore unto thee the years of the palmer worm, the canker worm, the locust. But when I really search the Scripture, and I've been doing a lot of it lately, searching my heart, I am not for sure that it will ever return until I get freer than what I presently am. There's too much of me still hanging around. There's too much earthly fight in me. There's too much clinging to worldly commodities and, and such. And we all live in houses and hold jobs and we have to be responsible. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. You see, Paul says we're in this world, but not of this world. And you see, we can be in this world and be very much involved in the cares of this life without the cares of the life bogging us down. How would you like to have total financial freedom? <clears throat> you can, you know. America is the only country I know of where you can borrow a whole lot more money than you can pay back. You can do that. And it's really the spirit of greed that causes that. It really is. Now, <clears throat> you want to have total financial freedom, you can't, you can't just keep your eyes on everything out there. You can't be an impulsive spender. Just everything you see, I want, I want, I want. You see, that type spirit diametrically opposes the revelation that I am talking to you about. Just this gimme, 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 gimme. That is associated with self, with me. You may say, but I've got to feel like I'm important, I'm worth something. Go ahead and accomplish it for yourself and find out if you're not miserable. This is why Paul tells Timothy concerning the rich, they are pierced through with many sorrows. That the answer is not in what you possess. This is the reason why that a revelation must come to you when you read scriptures like Jesus said... He says, life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment, and a man's life consists of more than the abundance of the things that he possesses. It takes too much to please us. And yet when we get it, we're still not pleased. And the reason why is because we are not free Absolutely not free. And Jesus wanted to make us free. Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. It's hard sometimes for people to pray because they their work schedules Two and three jobs, husband and wife working, precious little children pawned off to babysitters. You say, we can't make ends meet, brother. And I know you can't. That's what I'm preaching about. And you never will until you get a revelation of what is important in life. You're trying to keep up with a race that you're going to lose in. You can't win because that race was never designed for the Christian to win in. 
the Christian will come in last place in that race. But we read scriptures like this, but let us lay aside every weight and the sin that might that doth so easily beset us, and let us run the race with patience. How would you like to run a race with a ball and chain on your feet? Some of you are trying that. You need to go to the closest place you can get somebody to take a chisel and chisel that chain get that ball and chain off your feet I'm talking about materialism I'm talking about self it's what you need you need to go and lay those handcuffs someplace on a desk and plead for mercy and see if you can get the jailer to unlock you and set you free. Set us free from the fear of man. Set us free from the cares of this life. Set us free from anxiety of the future. Set us free from insecurity. Set us free, Lord. Set us free. Romans, the 8th chapter, verse 14 and 15. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, Father, Father. You hear what he's saying? For as many as are led by the Spirit of God. We think people who are led by the Spirit of God are people who can get up and look out at you and read your mind. We think people are led by the Spirit of God because they can stand up behind the pulpit and preach a beautiful message. We think people are led by the Spirit because somehow they can stand up and speak a message in a tongue that you've never heard and turn around and interpret that. And you can be led by the Spirit for a moment, but that's not what he's talking about. For as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. Listen to this. For ye have not received the spirit of adoption again to fear. what you came out of. You have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. That's what you came out of. In the process of Jesus making you free, all of a sudden you decided, I don't think I want to go into the promised land. I think I'd rather if somebody could lead me back to Egypt. See, Jesus Christ and Moses were like this as far as the parallel is concerned. A prophet likened to him will God raise up, speaking of Jesus Christ. And this is the reason why that church after church after church is saying, you mean we, we, why can't we just be this, these are the 90s. Uh, I believe uh, everything's, uh, you know, uh, and, and we got all of our excuses why we want to be like everybody else. Israel got their Saul because they wanted to be like everybody else. They wandered in the wilderness because they wanted somebody to take them back into bondage. And God wanted to set those beautiful people free. And here we are down life's road, past the altar, most of us, 
We've spoken in tongues. We've talked in the tongues of men and of angels. We've been involved in all of this. And while we're questing for souls and growth, God help us not to look back toward Egypt and say, what we need is more expertise. What we need is just a little bit more flair and a little bit more charisma and a little bit more shine. i tell you what we need. We need Jesus Christ to walk among us and make us free again. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Remove the fear of man. Remove the bondage of worldliness. Remove the, the cruelty of the monetary system from us so that we feel only secure when we look up and we're not competitive because we're looking out. You see, you really gave it all up at the new birth, didn't you? Didn't Jesus tell the rich young ruler who had kept all the commandments, these things have I done from my youth up? That's what he said. said, what I want you to do was sell everything you have and give to the poor. Follow me. He went away sadly because his possessions were great. I just want to reach the point in Jesus Christ that really nothing matters but my relationship with him. You may say, oh, pastor, let me tell you something. If Jesus Christ comes back tomorrow, You'll be so thankful you made that commitment. And you're going to find out in just a very short period of time that this world is going to fly through space like a cinder from a fire. God's going to burn the elements of this earth with fervent heat and make it all over again. And all iniquity and the people that followed after Satan will be cast in the lake of fire to die forever and forever and forever. And your one job description that I can find is to give honor and praise and adoration to God throughout eternity. And you will be very thankful that somebody, somebody came. Somebody put the chain on the anvil and took the sword of the word and chopped you free. Set you free. That somebody stood up behind the pulpit and stressed the importance of worship and the importance of prayer and the importance of soul winning. Even to the extent of putting yourself on the altar. Can you possibly understand what Paul was saying in Romans 12, verse 1 and 2? Without this revelation, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It sounds good when it's quoted, even if you don't have the revelation. But my friend, there's a clarion note that rings in my soul when I hear it and I have the revelation of what he's talking about. Whosoever seeketh to save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall gain eternal life. Life was meant to be spent. Nail your flesh to the altar. Nail it to the cross with the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. <laughs> Start making every day count. See, some of you have your mind so far in the future God can't use you today. This is the reason why you're trying to, oh, you're saving up so much for, the, for one of these days. The Bible doesn't say, this is the year the Lord hath made. It doesn't say, this is the month. It says, this is the day that the Lord hath made. And Jesus prayed his prayer, that memorial prayer. This is what he said, give us this day our daily bread. That's why Paul could echo this very same philosophy in his message, Behold, today is the day of salvation. 
this day counts. Not tomorrow. But this day. I hope that right now there's unfolding in your mind a great revelation of what your pastor's talking about. I want to be free. I see a slave boat arriving on the shores of America. Mid-1700s. And I see all these peering eyes. It's a new world. Who's going to be my owner? Who's going to buy me? What price are they going to pay for me? And yet I also see the old ship of Zion loaded with people that are bound with self. Who's going to rule over me today? Is it going to be my job? Is it going to be my finances, my money? Is it going to be my clothes? What's it going to be? I thank the Lord that one day while I was on the auction block, that one step forth, having the key to death, hell, and the grave, and pushed a hard bargain, he bought me and turned me loose. I'm free. Thank God, I'm free. I do not want to go back to the bondage that I was in before. I've got to be free. But freedom is not just a one-shot thing at an altar. It's progressive as you walk now in life's grave. Oh. oh, Jesus, come and touch us tonight. Open our understanding, Lord, of your ways. Free us, God. Oh, free us, God. That's it. Let's just let's just pray right now. God's ministering in this place. Let's yield to his spirit. yield to the voice of God now. Let him talk to us.
in this altar anyone who'd like to come and oh please Lord my Lord and my Savior my Lord and my Savior Oh, God, that's it. If you're a guest of ours and you want to pray, come on, pray. Just find a place to pray.